Well, we've been in a series this summer called The Armor of God. And in this series, what we're doing is we're breaking down all the pieces of the armor that Paul lists out for us in Ephesians chapter 6. And we're talking about how each specific piece is designed to help us fight and win when it comes to spiritual warfare. And I want to continue our series today, and I want to talk about the next piece of armor uh, that we have in our arsenal. So let's look at the scripture together in Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to begin reading in verse 10. It's Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 17. This is what the scripture says. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Pastor Mark preached about the helmet of salvation last Sunday. Today I want to talk about the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. Come on, say, this is the best weapon. This is the best weapon. That's right. Come on. Let's pray and ask God to help us today. Speak to us through His Word. Father, we love you. And again, Lord, we thank you for your presence that's in this room. We thank you, God, that you're faithful and just, Lord. You meet with us. God, you speak to us through your word. You help us, God, to grow and be transformed to become more like you. And God, I pray that that's what would happen today through this time in your word. I pray that you would speak to us clearly. God, that your word would take root in our hearts and it would produce a harvest of righteousness for your name's sake. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we've learned throughout this series that we are in a spiritual battle. Every single one of us are. It's called spiritual warfare, and spiritual warfare is very real. Spiritual warfare, we defined it in week one. It's conflict in the invisible realm that affects what we see and feel and experience in the visible realm. There's a battle going on for your soul right now. There is a fight that's literally determining the direction your life is going to go. And Paul really lays it all out for us in the first few verses that we just read here in Ephesians chapter 6 by telling us who our enemy is when it comes to spiritual warfare. Make no mistake about it. Our enemy is the devil. And it's not just the devil, according to Paul here. It's all the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and spiritual forces of evil that are present with him in the heavenly realms. And they are the enemy that has attacked God and now attacked the people of God. See, you have to understand this. You're thinking like, well, what did I do to get in this fight? I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up to get involved in spiritual warfare. That's not something I want to be a part of. And see, the problem is when you signed up to become a follower of Jesus, the enemy targeted you with spiritual warfare. 
The Bible says that he made war against God and all of heaven. And when he lost that war in Revelation chapter 12, it says that he turned to make war against all of those who hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. And this warfare that we're engaged in is in the invisible realm, but it's very real. Listen, just because our enemy may be invisible does not make him fictional. It's not the same thing. There is a spiritual battle that is just as real going on right now. It's just as real as everything physical that you see all around you. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11, he tells us that we should not be unaware of this. Because if we live unaware of this, he said, then Satan is going to outwit us. Another translation says he's going to take advantage of us. We're in a spiritual fight. And he tells us here in Ephesians chapter 6 very clearly who our enemy is when it comes to spiritual warfare. But then he also makes sure to, to, to make sure that we know who our enemy is not. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Listen to me. You've got to hear this before we leave this series. I want you to get this. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. You are not fighting against people. You're like, yeah, but he said your fight is not against him. Yeah, but you don't know what she did. Your fight is not against her. Hear what God is saying to you today. Your fight is not against flesh and blood. It is against something behind that. There is a force. There is a spiritual enemy behind a lot of the people problems that you face. People are not really your problem. They are the fruit and not the root. But if you target a person for attack, you're fighting the wrong battle and you're going to lose where the real war is taking place in the spirit. And so Paul makes this clear to us who we're fighting, who we're not fighting. And then he begins to outline each of the weapons that we've been given, each piece of the armor that uh, God has given to us so that we can fight and be successful when it comes to spiritual warfare. And listen, if you're, going to, if you're going to be successful, if you're going to see victory when it comes to spiritual warfare and spiritual attack, you and I, we've got to get armored up in the right kind of armor because there is a, there's an armor that God has created and specifically designed and given to us that is, that is there to help us stand strong when the day of evil comes against us. He tells us first, you've got to put on the belt of truth. Why do you do that first? Because the belt of truth holds everything else together. Listen to me. Nothing in your life is going to work like it should until truth is first established. If you are living under the power and the influence of a lie, everything else in your life is not, it's, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to connect like it should. The truth holds everything together. And everything in your life works like it should when truth is established. Truth brings clarity to every situation you and I face. And living in the truth, according to Jesus in John chapter 8, causes us to walk in freedom continually. So putting on truth first is essential to the rest of the armor. And then Paul tells us we got to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness, you'll remember, is upright living that aligns with the Word of God. The breastplate of righteousness connects to the belt of truth. And when it's in place, it protects the most vital organ of our body. It protects our hearts from the enemy. Then Paul tells us about the shoes. He says, you got to put those shoes in place. you got to wear the right shoes, shoes that are designed to help you take a stand where God has called you and placed you in life. Shoes that are designed to help you continue to stand when the enemy comes and tries to knock us back and knock us down. Shoes that cause us to stand in peace 
Even when all hell is breaking out all around us, shoes that cause us to stand, no matter what. Then Paul tells us to take up the shield of faith. And that shield allows us to overcome, he says, all the fiery darts of the wicked one, all the all the darts, all the arrows that the enemy shoots our way. I'm talking about things like fear and doubt and discouragement. Faith is like a shield that keeps us moving forward no matter what the enemy is shooting at us with. And then in verse 17, he tells us to take up the helmet of salvation. And again, Pastor Mark talked about this last week, and he talked about how the helmet uh, of salvation is like, it's like a, it, it, it protects our minds, the, the salvation, our knowledge of Jesus Christ and who we are in him protects our minds and reminds us of our identity in Christ Jesus. But then finally, we get to this last weapon that Paul gives us, and he tells us to take up the sword of the Spirit. Now, we've shown you each week how these weapons are mainly defensive in nature, but how they can also be used offensively. For example, we know the shield is a defensive weapon. That is the primary objective of a shield is to protect us from the attack of arrows. But the shield that the Romans used in battle was also very important for their advancement and for their offense, especially when the enemy was in a fortified position. They would use the shield as an offensive weapon. It was a defensive weapon that could also be used offensively. But the sword that Paul's talking about here in verse 17 is the only primarily offensive weapon that we have in our arsenal. While the others can be used offensively, the sword is made for offense. So for the last piece of armor, God wants you to know, I've put a weapon in your hands, not not designed just to keep you standing when the enemy's throwing everything he can at you, but I've put a weapon in your hands designed to destroy the enemy of your souls, designed to take him out once and for all. That's what the sword of the Spirit is. So let's talk about uh, this Roman sword for a minute so we can kind of have in our minds what Paul would have had in his mind when he wrote this. There were two types of swords that a Roman soldier may use in battle. One is the Greek word uh, romphia, and the romphia sword is a long sword. It's the kind of sword that you would see a a sword fighter using, like on Princess Bride. Come on, have y'all seen that movie? It's one of the best. Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. Yes, I need to work on the accent a little bit, but it's all right. It's all right. That, that, that's a long sword that a, that, that a fencer or a sword fighter would use. And Roman soldiers would carry a sword like that. It was made for fighting at a distance. And in the original language, this, this sword literally means long and broad. And it's the word that we see for sword actually in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 16, when John sees uh, through eyes of the Spirit. He sees Jesus in his risen and glorified state, and he described Jesus as having a romphia sword, a double-edged, sharp, long, broad sword coming out of his mouth. I want to tell you something. The first time Jesus came to the earth, he came in a lowly manger, but the next time this world sees Jesus, they're going to see him with a sword coming out of his mouth because he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and every knee shall bow, and every tongue is going to confess that he is the Lord. He saw him, and he saw a sword coming out of his mouth. The glory of our king, Romphia. It's amazing. 
But that's not the Greek word used here in Ephesians chapter 6. Paul actually uses a different word to describe the sword of the Spirit that we have in our spiritual arsenal, and it's the Greek word makraia. Makraia. And the makraia is a short sword. It's what the Romans called a gladius. And it was the type of sword that they most often carried and used in combat. And I've got a picture of it right here for you. This is a a picture of uh, Makariah that you can actually buy online for like $180 if you're interested. It's authentic. They recovered it from the ruins of Sicily or something like that. I don't know. I'm just kidding. But you can see it was a shortened sword. The Makariah's Actually, it was a sword that was about 18 inches long, and it would probably be better translated dagger. And it was used for up-close fighting. You know, when the enemy gets right up in your face and right up on your grill, it was a dagger, and it had a needle-sharp tip to it. So it made it the perfect weapon to deliver a death blow to your enemy when he came in close. Let me ask you a question today. Have you ever had the enemy, the spiritual enemy of our souls, get right up on you before? You know, it's one thing to know that he's, he's attacking you with arrows, and there's arrows flying from all these different directions. It's another thing to know that sometimes he'll get right up in your face and in, invade your personal space, and his attack against you is very up close and personal. I was at a conference this week, and I ran into a good friend of mine that I haven't seen in a few years, and, and uh, I, I hope he doesn't see this, but um, uh, we, we, I was just standing there, and he saw me, and he was like, hey, Brian, and so I was like, hey, man, he comes up. I was actually standing on the stage of this church, and there's, you know, there's a massive church where this conference was, and, and so I'm standing there, and I'm talking to a guy. It was before an, another session was about to begin. He sees me, so he comes up, and he's on staff at this church, and, 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 and bro got right in my face. He's like right here, and he's like, how are you, man? You good? It's so good to see you. And I was like, good to see you. And I kind of just take a couple of steps back because it's a little, you know, intrusive. And he came with me. And so I'm literally just like, yeah, man, it's so good to see you. How's, how's the wife? How's the children? You know, I'm just like, I'm trying to, and there's people behind me. And so I just, I was stuck. And I was like, hello, yes. And he's a, he's a little bit taller than me. He was a college athlete, so he's kind of a big guy. And I was just like... Yeah, it it was just right there. Come on, personal space is so important. That was the one good thing about COVID is the social distancing thing. That was great. Some of, we just need to keep that, you know, as a a thing. At the store, just be like, hello, how are you? Good to see you. I'm just going to keep my distance. But sometimes the enemy, when he's attacking us, he will get right up in your personal space. And the kind of attack he's bringing against you isn't like from afar it's, it's up close and personal. It's a very, it feels like a very personal kind of attack against you. Well, this dagger, this Macariah has been given to us for that kind of battle. God said, I'm going to give you this sword, this weapon, so that you can use it when the enemy gets up right up close and personal. Our sword of the Spirit is made to deliver a death blow and get him out of your face and out of your way once and for all. That's what the sword is for. But now, watch this because Paul doesn't just call this weapon in our arsenal a sword. He calls it the sword of the Spirit because when we use this weapon, it's actually the Spirit who does the fighting for us. I love that. And this weapon is a little bit different than all the others. Not only is it the only primarily offensive weapon we have, but all the other pieces of the armor that Paul mentions, they, they, have, they have this kind of inanimate object applied to it, right? It's the belt of, of truth. But, but what is truth really? 
Uh, and then you got the breastplate of righteousness and the shoes of peace and the sword of, of faith, or yeah, the, 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 the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And, and, and we've, we've got these attributes that are applied to each one of these weapons that are the realities of our result of living in a relationship with a person named Jesus Christ. Let me tell you what I'm talking about. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We have truth because Jesus is our truth. Scripture says that he himself is the righteousness of God. So we have righteousness, but we only have it through Jesus Christ. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, that Jesus is our peace. And so we have peace only through relationship with the Prince of Peace, with Jesus. But listen to me. None of these attributes assigned to our spiritual armor have any power in our lives apart from the person of Christ. They can't help us on their own, but through a relationship with Jesus, they become mighty weapons of our warfare. Well, in Christ Jesus, we get another weapon as well. We get something amazing. And listen, it's not another inanimate object. It's actually an active person. It's the Spirit of God himself. The Bible calls him a counselor. He calls him a helper. He calls him an advocate, the spirit of truth and the spirit of power. And in John chapter 16, verse 7, Jesus declared, Very truly, I tell you, it is good for you that I am going away, because unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him your way. And then in verse 13, he tells us who this advocate is that he's talking about. It's the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, when he comes, he's going to guide you, and he's going to speak to you, and he's going to speak through you. And by the way, everything he guides you into, everything he speaks to you, and everything he speaks through you will all glorify me. It will all glorify Jesus Christ. And so I need you to understand, when it comes to the sword of the Spirit, God does not give you this inanimate object. He gives you a person. And when you hold the sword in your hands, it's the Holy Spirit of God, the same Spirit that the Bible says raised Jesus up from the dead, that begins to fight on your behalf. That's the power of the sword that God has given you in your arsenal. Come on and give God praise for that today. Hallelujah. And so as we live our lives in this physical world and we suddenly come under attack from the invisible world, you need to know that you've got a sword you can draw out and say, not today, Satan, back up. I don't have to live in discouragement. I don't have to be overwhelmed by anxiety. I don't have to live my life swallowed up in fear or doubt because I've got a weapon made to deal with the enemy of my soul. He is a person. He is an ever-present help in my time of trouble. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And see, if you don't believe or understand that the spiritual attack that is coming against you is from the invisible world and not the physical world, then you won't use the sword that has supernatural power and strength. You'll look for a natural weapon to use to fight your battles. You'll be like Moses and Peter in the Bible. You remember those stories? Moses was zealous about his people, Israel. He wanted, them to, he wanted to deliver them out of Egyptian slavery. So what did he do? He found a weapon, and he attacked an Egyptian, and he killed him. 
Peter wanted to deliver Jesus from the guards on the night that he was betrayed. So what did he do? He pulled a physical sword out and he went to go strike the head of one of the guards that was arresting Jesus. And he had terrible aim and he hit his ear and cut it off. And Jesus, the Bible says, actually reached down and picked up the guy's ear, put it back on his face. Come on, that's awesome. I can see, you still want to arrest me? Like, <laughs> we're going to do this or what, you know? But God in the Old Testament and then Jesus in the New Testament, they instructed both of them, look, that's not what I need. I don't need you to confront this evil in a natural, physical way. You're trying to use human means and human weapons to fight a spiritual battle. And listen to me, many of us are trying to do the same thing and we're losing spiritual battles because we're responding to spiritual warfare in the flesh instead of in the spirit. And the problem is when you choose to go by means of the flesh, you give up the right to go by means of the Spirit. Tony Evans is a, is a fantastic speaker and author down in Dallas, Texas. He's one of my favorites, really. And he, he's, he's preached extensively on the armor of God with his daughter, Priscilla Shire. Amazing content. If you want to go deeper on this, I would recommend you get their material. But this is a quote uh, from, from Tony Evans. He says, when you choose to use a man-made method for a spiritually derived cause, Watch this. You have no support from God in your fight. And this sword that God has entrusted to you to use as a weapon, for when the day of evil comes to find you, when you are under attack, it is not a physical, natural sword. It is a spiritual weapon. It is the sword of the Spirit. And when you pull it, the Spirit will do your fighting for you. But you've got to trust God to fight your battles for you and not get in his way. Come on, that's really hard for us, isn't it? We like to get in the flesh. And this is the only predominantly offensive weapon in our entire arsenal, and I think I know why. I think it is because the Holy Spirit is the only offensive weapon we need. What else do you need besides the Holy Spirit of God? Come on. You don't need anything else to deliver a death blow to your enemy other than the Holy Spirit working for you and through you. And there's something else that's a little bit different about this weapon than all the others that Paul gives us in Ephesians chapter 6. Because not only does he attach a person to this weapon, the sword of the Spirit, but he also offers some explanation for how the Spirit actually uses it to fight against the devil on our behalf. Because in verse 17, he tells us that the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. And I want to talk about the Word of God for just a moment. I want to, I want to tell you about three Greek words that, that we see uh, in the Scripture that are used for the word, word. And it's really important that you understand these three words today and how they work together in order for you to understand correctly how to use the sword when it comes to spiritual warfare. I'm going to go through these quickly. The first one is the word graphe. Graphe. And this word graphe in English literally just means the writings. It's the scripture once it's been recorded and written down. It's called graphe. Graphe is the book. Graphe is the Bible. And it's the word of God. I want you to understand today, I'm holding a Bible in my hand. Did anybody bring a physical Bible with them today? Yeah, we've got it on the screen for you. We, you know, we, we help you cheat with that. But that's, there's nothing like a Bible in your hand. Come on. When I study, I still like to study with a Bible in my hand. 
And this, this Bible in my hand, it's the word graphe, and it's the collection of writings. Listen, all of it is inspired, and all of it is written by God, literally, for us. And we call this collection of writings, this graphe, we call it the Word of God. Now, this book, just holding it in my hand without opening it and reading it and applying it to my life in any way, it's graphe. That Bible sitting on your shelf at home or on your coffee table, or maybe in the glove compartment of your car, it's graphe. That's what it is. But now watch this. This book is the inspired Word of God. That app that you downloaded on your phone and you like to read and use as the Bible. It is the inspired Word of God. But graphe by itself is not the sword of the Spirit. And so when he talks about the sword that we can pull out that causes the Spirit to fight for us and and on our behalf, he's not talking about the graphe. He's talking about something else. There was a time in my life back when I was a, a teenager and I was, I was facing a difficult situation, a lot of pressure, and, uh, and, and I didn't really know what to do. And I was talking to my mom about, you know, what I should do. And she felt, you know, really just stirred in her spirit to tell me that she didn't think I should go a certain direction in my life. But you know how it is. I was like 19 and I'm like, I know all the ways of the world already. I don't need your advice or your wisdom. I'm going to do what I want. And uh, I remember telling her uh, as I was going into this very pressurized situation, I said, don't worry, I'm going to take my Bible with me. And, and, and looking back on the Bible that was left in my car as I walked into this pressure situation, that did not help me at all because it does not help me sitting in my car unopened, unread. What would have helped me is if I had a read. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man. I just pulled that out. Look at God. It's like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Look at God work. That would have helped me because then I could have walked in there with a word. But the graphe is not the sword of the Spirit. It does not help you in spiritual warfare that you've got a Bible at home on your coffee table or in your car somewhere. And that's how a lot of people live their lives. They think because they've downloaded an app on their phone or they've got a Bible in their nightstand drawer next to their bed that they are living their lives with the sword of the Spirit in their hand and they're protected when the day of evil comes against them. That's not how it works because that app and this book is graphe. It's not the sword of the Spirit. So there's another word for word that we see in the scripture, and it's the word logos. Everybody say logos. You gave me a chance to take a breather. This is the most common used word in the New Testament for the word word in the scripture. It's the word that the Bible uses in John chapter 1 verse 1 to describe Jesus where it says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Everywhere where you see word right there, that is the word logos. And logos goes further than graphe. Graphe is the book written. Logos is the message contained in the book. Logos is what you get when you open the book or you open the app on your phone and you actually take time to read what it says. It's what you get when you take time to come to church or you watch us online and you hear the word of God presented. You hear the word of God preached. You're not receiving graphe in this moment. You're receiving logos. It is to see or hear the word. That's what logos means. And more than that, it means to interact with it. The ancient Greeks used this word logos as a philosophical term, and they used it as a term to describe interacting with the text. 
that you read or the message that you hear. See, it becomes logos when it enters into your heart and to your mind and you begin to contemplate what it says. You consider it. You begin to ponder it and then you respond to it some way. See, the logos is, is, is just graphe until it is presented to you. But once you receive it and you begin to interact with it, it becomes logos for you. And in the Bible, logos means the living word. See, Paul wrote about Logos in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. I love this, this verse and this passage of Scripture because it shows you the power of the Word of God. He says, and we also thank God continually because when you received the Word of God, that word right there is Logos, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word. There it is again, Logos, but as it actually is the Word of God, the word Logos which is indeed at work in you who believe. So watch this. Paul and his team, when they got to Thessalonica, they did not just hand out a bunch of copies of a Gideon Bible, okay? They didn't just hand out a bunch of physical copies of a Bible. What they did is they preached the message of the Bible. What they did is they preached the message of Jesus Christ. They preached the gospel. They gave it to them. And when the people heard it and interacted with it, watch this, the graphe became logos to them. It happened the moment that they received it and accepted it as the word of God and not a human word. And then he takes it a step further because he says upon reception of the Logos word, he says that the Logos began to work in and through those who received it and believed it. I, I love that word for work in the Greek New Testament. It's the word energizo. It means that something supernatural began to happen on the inside of them. As he preached the word of God that brings life, something that was dead on the inside of them started to come back to life again. I'm telling you, you can sit here right now in this moment and you can be getting nothing more than graphe because you're hearing the word, but you're not receiving the word. But the moment you decide, I'm going to receive this word from God, I'm going to put my name on it. I'm going to say this belongs to me. That graphe word becomes a logos word for you. And it immediately goes to work on the inside of you, causing you to become more like Jesus, causing you to grow in your faith, causing you to understand what God's good and perfect will is for you. It it awakened a spiritual hunger within them to know the God that this message was being preached about. And that's the power of the Logos. That's the benefit of the Word of God. It doesn't help us to grow to become more like Jesus sitting in a desk drawer. It goes to work on the inside of us the moment we interact with it. We receive it and we hear it. and We say, Lord, let me become more like you. The graphe becomes the Logos when you hear it and interact with it. It becomes logos when the content is clarified and you understand it. That's what happened with Philip in Acts chapter 8. You remember that story. There was a, an Ethiopian eunuch, of all things, sitting in a chariot, and he was on his way somewhere, and Philip was walking to the next town, and he heard this guy reading the Scriptures. And he probably heard, you know, this guy is reading the prophet Isaiah, but he doesn't know what he's reading. And so Philip is leaning in and he's listening. And he just asks the guy, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I? Nobody has explained it to me. And Philip jumps into the chariot and he says, let me tell you what the graphe means. 
the graphe, these words of the prophet Isaiah are pointing forward to a Messiah named Jesus Christ. He came. I was with him. He died. He rose again. Now he's at the right hand of God, the Father. And you can know the Messiah that the prophet Isaiah was talking about hundreds of years ago. And the moment that he explained what the graphe said, it became logos to that Ethiopian man. And watch this. It immediately went to work on the inside of him. How do we know that? Because the Ethiopian, the Bible says, told his driver, stop the chariot. There's water right there. I must be baptized for the remission of my sins. It caused something to happen on the inside of him because something that was dead was suddenly coming to life again. His spirit was interacting with the spirit of God because the graphe word became logos. The moment somebody said, do you want to know what you're reading? You're reading about Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified and buried but rose again and he's coming back again one day. The story's not over. You can know him. Hallelujah. It becomes logos when we understand it. And it's powerful. The logos is the message given from the graphe written. Graphe is God's message written, whether we use it or not. But when we understand the message, we apply it to our hearts and to our lives. The graphe, we graduate from graphe to logos. The message is living and powerful because it's true. But check this out. As powerful as that word logos is, that's not the word Paul uses in verse 17 to describe the sword of the Spirit. The word he uses to describe the sword of the Spirit is the word rhema. Everybody say rhema with me. Rhema. Rhema literally means utterance or word spoken, word declared. See, rhema is the declaration and or real life application of the logos that you get from the graphe. Now stay with me because this is powerful. The graphe is the book. The logos is the message contained within the book. The rhema is the application of that message to your heart and to your life. And then it begins to direct your life in a different way than you were previously going. And it's like when God makes his word both personal and applicable to you. That's when it becomes rhema. That's why Paul wrote what he did in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. He said, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God there, the word is rhema. That's the word. Faith in your heart to believe happens not just when you hear the message, but when God makes the message real and relevant to where you are in life. When he does that, you've received a rhema word. The moment God speaks to you, it causes faith to be ignited in your heart. Faith to say yes to God, no matter what circumstances you may be facing. Faith to say yes to God, no matter what it is he may be asking you to do with your life. Faith, when you receive it through the rhema of God, causes you to say yes to God, no matter what it is that God may be speaking to you. Your response is, do it, Lord, in me, in accordance with your word. And it's the rhema of God that Paul said is like a sword that that you can use when the enemy comes against you. It's the rhema of God that causes the spirit to fight and win on your behalf. See, you can be the owner of a Bible and still not have a sword. You can own every translation imaginable. You can even read it daily and still not have a sword. 
It's not a sword just because it's been written down. It's not a sword just because you read it and even understand it. It's a sword when you allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to your life and you say, I was going this way, but because of the word you've spoken to me, now I'm going to go this way and I'm going to trust the Lord with the direction of my life. That's what the sword of the Spirit is. It's the rhema of God. And this is what I believe. I believe that many in the church are either stuck at grafe or logos when it comes to spiritual warfare. And that's why we struggle so much in our fight. We have a Bible. We even bring it to church. We have an app on our phone. But that doesn't cause the Spirit to fight for us. That's not the weapon He uses. We've got to take it further than that. And I believe that most of us in the church do. We read the Word of God. We, we seek to understand it. That's logos. We seek to understand what it means. We're we're informed by his word, even inspired by it. But when it comes to spiritual warfare, when the enemy is all up in your face, you need more than grafe and logos. You need the rhema word of God because rhema is the sword that we can use that destroys our enemy. Let me show you something powerful in scripture before we leave it. It's Luke chapter one. Mary is going to become the mother of Jesus and she's Visited by an angel of the Lord. I know it's Christmas in July. Come on, that's awesome. By the way, I told you it was so hot down south. We couldn't wait to get back here. And I I checked the weather and, you know, the weather report said, well, we're looking at another hot week and the high of 86. I was like, that's not hot. That's heavenly. I came from the hundreds, man. It was awful. Glad to be home. But the angel, Gabriel, shows up in Mary's living room. And tells her that she is going to give birth to a child. And this child is going to be the Messiah, the Son of God. And Mary, rightfully so, has one very simple and obvious question that she wants to ask the angel. She says, how can this be? How can this be? You know why she asked that question? Because she said, look, I, I know I'm young, but I know what it takes to have a baby. And I ain't done that yet. So how can this be? How can a virgin give birth to a child? I'm helping your children here today with this message. Just learning all kinds of things. But now watch how the angel answers Mary in verse 35 when she asks, how can this be? The angel answered, watch this, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Then the angel says, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Now, don't miss what the angel says next because some of you, watch, God is about to take a Logos word and he's about to make it a rhema word for you because then the angel says to her, for no word from God will ever fail. Say that with me. No word from God will ever fail. That word used for word there in the Greek is the word rhema. No rhema word that God speaks and applies to your heart will ever come back to him void and empty-handed of what he spoke it out and sent it to do. And some of you have been stuck in a season of doubt and disappointment because you felt like God spoke to you and it hasn't come to pass. What you felt like God showed you is still off in the distant future somewhere and you see no path to get there and the devil has been attacking you at the point that God spoke ever since he spoke those words to you. Listen, you're about to learn how to fight him off with the sword of, of, of the spirit because if God spoke a rhema word to you this is what you need to know and believe today 
It is impossible for that rhema word not to work for you. Here's how I know that. It's because the work is not up to you. According to Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, the work is up to God. And it is impossible for him to fail at anything he puts his hand to and he speaks his mouth to because he is perfect in all his ways, the scripture says. He's got everything he needs to perfect his word to you. In fact, you could actually translate this verse that the angel spoke to Mary like this. You could translate it as, no rhema word from God will ever be without the power to perform itself. Wow. That means that the power is present the moment the word is spoken. There's nothing you have to do with it. Because God spoke it and the, the power is present the moment he spoke it to accomplish what he said he was going to do. So stop letting doubt and anxiousness rule the day in your heart and mind. You need to grab a hold of the sword of the Spirit and begin to trust the word of the Lord. If he said it to you, he will do it for you. But it will not be by your strength or your power or your might. It will be by the Spirit of God. And everybody will know it had to be God that did this work because he He's not strong enough to do it. She's not wise enough to do it. It was God that did it. We only need to trust and believe. If he said it, he'll do it. And remember what we said about the rhema according to Romans chapter 10. The scripture said that faith comes by hearing and hearing from the rhema word of God. Well, look how Mary responds to the angel, to the rhema that she received from the Lord in verse 38. She said in response to the angel, she said, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word, rhema, to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Watch this. All it took was one rhema word from God. And the girl decided to come into agreement with what the word of the Lord was concerning her life. And watch this, the moment that she came into agreement with it, all the doubt, all the questions, all the insecurities, all the unbelief, all the disbelief, all the how in the world is this going to happen, it all left Mary's heart in that moment and it was replaced by hope-filled expectation. It was replaced with, let it be to me just as you have said, Lord. The rhema word, once it is spoken by God, and received by us becomes a sword in our hands that the Spirit himself uses to fight against our enemies. Lifting the sword in battle, listen, this is all it is. It is choosing to come into agreement with the word of the Lord and the Holy Spirit of God will fight on your behalf. And these moments where we, where we receive a rhema word from God, they are so important and they're so crucial to our victory in spiritual warfare. And the reason why is because this is a point of attack for the enemy. He challenges the word of God. We see it right in the beginning. I'm not going to go back and preach this because I just did a whole series on this called Truth and Lies. But if you go back to the beginning of the Grafe in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, the Bible says that the serpent came to Eve and he had one question for her. Did God really say? Why did he ask that question? Because he's challenging the word of God. You need to know that Satan in spiritual warfare, he's going to challenge the word of God primarily three ways. He's going to challenge it with a lie. Did God really say? Well, this is actually what God said, but that's not what God meant. Let me tell you what God really meant. It's a lie. The other way that he's going to challenge the word of God in your life is through accusation. Did you know that the name Satan literally means accuser in the Greek? 
and he will accuse you day and night before God, the Bible says. And what that means is that, well, God will speak to you, and, and, and you're trying to be patient, and you're trying to wait on the Lord, and you're not perfect in all your ways, right? I mean, you mess up. You do some stupid things. And the enemy will show up and say, see, that word that God gave you, well, it's canceled now because you're a sinner. That word that God spoke to you about his calling in your life and what he wanted you to do, it's over now because you messed up, bud. It's over. The accuser will try to make you believe that the word that God spoke to you has been disqualified in your life because you failed to live up to some kind of standard. And so he, he, you need to know he is challenging the word of God in your life, but he is a liar. He is the father of lies. He is the accuser of the brethren. And the Bible says that we don't give in to his accusation. We overcome him by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's God's will for you in Christ Jesus. He attacks the word of God by bringing confusion to it. God, the Bible says God is not the author of confusion, but you know who is? It's Satan. And he will bring confusion to the word that the Lord speaks. So just let me, let me show you what I'm talking about. Think about Abraham and Sarah. God spoke to Abraham, and he said, you're going to have a son. And Abraham said, okay, sounds great. He told Sarah about it, and the Bible says Sarah literally laughed out loud. She laughed at him like, oh, that's good. That's funny. They were waiting on God, and they waited a lot longer than they thought they'd have to. And in the waiting season for God to do what he said he was going to do, they decided we've got to take matters into our own hands. And so Abraham decided he was going to have a child with another woman by the name of Hagar. And what that, what, the reason that happened is because the enemy got in there in the waiting season. By the way, we don't wait well. We all love to hear from God, don't we? We all love to receive a word. But what if I told you that you're going to receive that word, but then you've got to wait 30 years to see it come to pass? We don't like to wait. And the enemy knows that. So while we're waiting on the Lord to do what he said he was going to do, that he can only accomplish by his miraculous power, the enemy gets in there and says, you should do this. You should do it that way. God's taking too long. Why don't you do it this way? He is sowing confusion in the waiting moments. But what he's really doing is he is challenging the word of God because Abraham always had Isaac in mind, always, as the child of promise. Lies, accusation, confusion. And I love that in spite of all the missteps, the missteps of Adam and Eve, the missteps of Abraham and Sarah, God remained faithful to them. Can you just take a moment and thank God for grace and mercy? Because we should have all been disqualified a long time ago. But God says, I've spoken a word to you and I will bring it to pass. All you've got to do is wait on me and trust me. But this is what we need to know. You don't have to have an angel come down from heaven and speak a rhema word for you to have a sword in battle. And you don't have to, like Abraham, hear the audible voice of God speak to you in order for you to have a sword in battle. Because what God has done is he has made it so that the graphe can become the logos and the logos can become a rhema for every single one of us. That's why it says in 2 Thessalonians or 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, it says, All scripture is God breathed. It all comes from the mouth of God. And all you've got to do is say, Lord, I want to live according to your word. I want to know what your will is for my life and ask the Holy Spirit to apply it, and he will do it. That's what we see Jesus do in Matthew chapter 4. When the Bible says that he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for 40 days, what happened out there? Satan attacked him three separate times by attacking the word of God. 
How did Jesus respond to the devil? He said, it is written. The word written there is graphe. It's written in the book. But watch this. What was written in the book came through the logos, the living word. And the moment he spoke it out, it became rhema. It became a living word. It became a powerful sword. And all three times that Jesus just reminded the devil of what is written in the book, what he had already applied to his heart, it was like taking a dagger to the enemy and he had to flee away from him. And listen, it's the same for you and me. You don't have to hear, you don't have to have an angel come to you in the night to get a rougher word from God. You don't have to hear the voice of God audibly to get a rhema word for God, from God. All you've got to do is get into the book and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal it to you, and the Holy Spirit will give you a rhema word that will become a sword in battle against your enemy. I want the band to come up and begin to play softly. I want to close by telling you two, two things, two ways that the word of God has become a rhema word for me in my life. Because God does not want you to be without a sword today. He doesn't want you fighting without the sword of the Spirit. When Carmen and I first moved here to Colorado Springs, we knew that we had a word from God. And uh, we came on faith. It was total faith. Some of you guys have heard my story. God spoke Colorado Springs to us out of nowhere. We didn't know anything about this city. We had never been here. We didn't know anybody here. And as we were praying, God just dropped Colorado Springs into our spirit And about a year and a half after that, we decided we need to move to Colorado Springs and see what God is doing. And I asked God to to help us and show me, okay, Lord, we're going to take the first step. We're going to move here. Then I want you to show me what we're supposed to do here. Because we didn't know why he was calling us to Colorado Springs. And so we got here, we got to this city and we got jobs and we started to meet people, but we didn't really know what we were here to do. And we had been here for about a year. And I remember I was just so discouraged because I just, I thought, God, you know, you've brought us here and and we've seen your blessing and you've helped us and you've done amazing things. But, you know, things aren't happening the way that we thought they would. And things aren't happening when we thought they would. And we don't even know what we're supposed to do here. And, and, uh, and there were people calling me and, and saying, hey, you know, they'd say things like, hey, do you enjoy your year off from preaching? You want to come pastor a church? And hey, this, this church needs a pastor. And you're not doing anything with your life, are you? Come on out here. You know, it's just stupid stuff like that. And I'm like, I'm waiting on God. You know, I was mad. I was like, I'm waiting on him. I know it looks to you like I'm doing nothing, but I'm waiting on the Lord. And I remember being on my floor, on my face in my bedroom and asking God, Lord, Okay, this isn't fun anymore. You know, it was, it was kind of fun when we sold everything and we loaded everything up into a budget truck and we drove across the country. It was kind of fun when we, you know, moved into our apartment that we found online and, and realized that we were in the most crime-ridden part of our city, you know. It was fun when we started seeing initial things happening, but then it all just stopped. And I was like, God, this isn't fun anymore. Why did you bring us here? What are we supposed to do? And it was in that season that I found out that my old job was available again. And the guy that had replaced me at my church in Georgia as the worship pastor stepped down. And I thought, well, this has made it really easy. I can go back home. I missed it. It wasn't God. I just need to go back home. And I remember laying on my face and weeping before the Lord. And God spoke a word to me 
that I don't remember reading, but I know I did at some point from Luke chapter 9, verse 62. And it was like I heard God's voice in my heart. And he says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and turns to look back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And when God spoke that word to me, I said, okay, God, I hear you. We're here. We're burning the ships. When they call and offer this job to me, I'm going to tell them I'm not interested. And we're just going to wait on you. And that's what we did. And it was within just a few days that God began to work and awesome things began to happen for us to be able to plant this church. But it, it was a rhema word in a moment of my greatest desperation that allowed me to say, okay, come hell or high water, I am not leaving, I am here. That word sustained me for a long time. More recently, I was going through a difficult struggle in my life and I was struggling with the lack of fruit. Come on, have you ever been there where you're like, God, I'm doing everything I know to do. I got my hand to the plow. I'm not looking backwards. I'm looking straight ahead. But I, you know, we've, we're, planting, we're planting seeds and they're not producing harvest. God, where are you? What's going on here? And the Lord spoke to someone in my life, someone close to me, and he gave this person a verse of scripture about sowing and reaping and harvesting seasons. And, and, and they just began to faithfully pray this prayer over me and Carmen every single day. And one of those days as they were praying that prayer over me, the Lord showed him a prophetic picture of where I was and what was coming. He saw a prophetic vision of where I was and he delivered that prophetic vision to me in a moment when I needed it so badly. And what he said to me was he saw me standing there with the rhema in my hand. Come on, somebody. A sword lit up by the power of God. And I'm having this conversation with the Lord like, when, when, when God, when I'm ready. You say when and I'm gonna strike. You tell me when, just let me do it. And God's telling me, no, not yet, no, not yet. And then all of a sudden, it was like God said, now. And when I struck like this, he said that harvest began to spring up all over the place from every side. And I dropped the sword and just started laughing because I realized it was so easy all along. What is that? That is a rhema word from God. And both of those rhema words that came from God for my life when I needed them the most, they were both based in the graphic right out of the word of God. Graphe becomes logos, becomes rhema. When you create space and time for God to give you a sword, he will give you a sword to fight with. And when that sword begins to fight for you, there is not an enemy on the earth or in hell that can stand in your way. Come on, stand with me all across this room. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, for your word because your word is life. We thank you, God, for your word because it's power. We thank you, Lord, that we're not fighting on our own. We're not fighting according to the weapons of our own warfare, the weapons of our, our own wisdom, God. We're not left to our own devices, Lord. You're fighting for us. You're fighting through us, God, and you've put a sword in our hands. It's the sword of the Spirit of God. And if we will simply trust you and come into agreement with your word, you will fight for us, Lord. You will do the things that you've spoken over us. They are yes and amen to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. I feel so impressed in this moment to tell you today that if you are in a waiting season and you've been waiting on God to perfect his word, don't give up. Don't give up. The Bible says that there is a harvest if you will not give up. It's coming. 
It's coming because if God spoke it, there's enough power in that word to perfect itself. It's coming. Don't give up. Don't let go of that plow. Don't let go of that sword. You're right where God wants you to be. Stand and see the deliverance of the Lord your God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Lord, help us to wait in faithfulness, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our hearts today is he wants to take the logos. I've given you the logos. I've preached the word to you today. He wants to take that logos, though, and he wants to make it rhema in your heart. He wants to apply something to your heart today that becomes a sword for you in battle. And as we sing this song, as the band leads us in this song, I believe God is going to speak to you. He's going to minister to your heart today. Come on, let him speak to your heart. Hear him. Sing and worship me. Hear the voice of the Lord. Hear what the Spirit is saying to you. And when you hear his voice, grab a hold of it and come into agreement with it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.